Love Life, featuring your hosts, Rebecca Detman and Jane Donovan. The sun shines bright as it moves across my face. I feel the light. The double-edged sword of compassion teaches and heals. Welcome to Love Life. I'm Rebecca Detman. And I'm Jane Donovan. And in our show today, we want to talk singularly about the topic of compassion. There are many different ways we're going to come in and look at this idea and approach this subject today, as we always do, relating some personal experience, some things that we've noticed lately in a cluster, which is often how our topics come, don't they, Jane? We tend to notice uh, a lot of dots will get joined all in a series of events over the last couple of days or weeks between both of us will Usually when Jane and I get together to record, we have a quick chat about what's been happening in our lives since we last saw each other. And that's where we often pull a lot of parallels or a lot of current trends that we're noticing with our clients, with stuff we've seen or heard in the media. Not that we watch the media, but you know what we mean. (laughs) We just, we've been observing the world around us. And that's where we start to get some of the hot information. And the buzzword for both of us at the moment is compassion. We've both had very different experiences of the necessity of needing more compassion, obviously not just in our world, but so deeply for ourselves lately. And I know Jane will share some of hers and and I'll certainly share some of mine. Um, compassion is a topic which is very close to Jane's heart, I know, because it's something that as a love doctor that she – it sort of embodies the work that she does. She's all about helping people to love deeper, obviously others in the dating world, but most importantly themselves through self-worth and self-acceptance. And a big part of that has to do with the concepts of self-forgiveness and empathy and compassion for our own selves because as humans we screw up. There's no such thing as perfectionism. We are constantly learning through accidents or mistakes or things, blunders, things that we wish we'd never done or seen or, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And with that can come a lot of self-punishment or self-loathing or being very harsh on oneself. And in order for the world to become a less violent and more compassionate, loving, connected community, it absolutely does start from the inside out. So how can we learn the vibration of compassion when so many of us did not grow up in households that were that sort of benevolent, kind, empathetic, supportive, loving environment? Mm, It's a great topic. There's so many angles to this, which is why the affirmation at the beginning was about a double-edged sword. So I feel that compassion, I would say I'm a hugely compassionate person, but one of the realizations that I've had is that, yes, I am compared to, you know, Mary and, and Johnny that are down the road. I do have an abundance of compassion in comparison too. But what I also realized about myself is that I've actually got a lot more compassion that I don't give. I lead with compassion. So I will always have the compassionate default setting initially. But what I haven't enjoyed is that it's like dollar in, dollar in. So it's like, I'll be compassionate and then I expect compassion in return and I don't get it. So then I'll still be compassionate, but then I don't get it. But what I've realized at some point is that if I don't get it in return, I withdraw my compassion. And I'm not sure that's a great way to live. So my goal at this point in life is that I want to be more compassionate. So I'm working on ways that I can find for me to be more compassionate longer with the same person or situation. So it's quite a challenge, 
but I think it's something that I'm going to really be happy about myself. I think it's going to bring me a lot of gifts. At the same time, though, this is reflecting the level of compassion I have for myself. So while I have compassion for myself, i.e. self-love, self-worth, self-confidence, etc., if I want to take that to another level, then the compassion that I am extending externally can only be reflected to me internally in the same proportions. Mm. What do you think the counter opposite to compassion is, Jane? On, on the other end of the spectrum, you've got what? Judgment. Yes, so do I. Judgment. I think that's what it is. Yeah. I think it's judgment. And I think that, you know, particularly with all the HSP stuff that we've covered off in the Love Life show, where a lot of people have grown up in relatively harsh environments. Now, by a harsh environment, I don't mean an Ethiopian drought, but I do mean maybe in a 1950s suburban life where crying for a boy was not allowed, or even a 1970s childhood maybe like Jane's in which being too soft and too sensitive earned you the the nickname of crybaby. And so uh, there's so much judging that goes on in our society when anybody just doesn't understand what it feels like to walk in another's shoes, which is all of us, not any of us can really understand what it's like to be another person or to think or feel or be triggered or charged by their own individual sufferings or, you know, intensities. And so as a byproduct of that, we do live in an incredibly judgmental world. Now, it's not always a harsh judgment. Harsh judgment is, I don't like Muslims, let's go and bomb them and pretend it's a war about oil. That's harsh judgment. A softer judgment might be, um, that lady at that dinner party talks way too much and all the time and really annoys me. But you're judging, you know, you don't know her story. You don't know why she's over-talking. There could be a thousand reasons for that, that if you knew them, might bring you a little bit closer to compassion. So I think that there's a lot of um, work to be done in this world when it comes to not just reacting without thinking about it to anything that remotely annoys you, but starting to bring yourself back into a more spiritual vibration of remembering that everyone has a story. I think this is something I actually have a bit of a gift in is that when I'm in a conversation with a group of people and it's starting to go a bit toxic in some way or judgmental in some way, it's where I'm able to make up other stories about what could be going on. Mm. And sometimes that's where I'll shut down when the judgment's getting a bit ugly is where I will say, well, you know, what if you think it's this? It could be this. It could be that. And I literally just make up stories. Now, it may not be, but who cares? It softens the energy. Yes. And and therefore dilutes the toxic path that it was going, that conversation was going down. Mm. But if that's something that you struggle with, then the exercise would be make-believe. Just start getting into your imagination of make-believe. And if you look at like movies and you see a scene that's playing out, stop it and think, well, what else could be going? It's like trying to forward guess the who done it in a mm. movie, in a um, teleseries or whatever, you know, the murder of who did it. Um, if you start going down the what-if game or the imagine or the it could be, that's just a fun game to play with things that don't matter to help you to start to see other sides of anything. Mm. To, to not view the world in such a blinkered, linear, narrow, assuming kind of a such way. Such a black and white yeah. way. It is 50 shades of grey. Mm. This guy just cut me off in traffic. He's a dickhead. Yeah, that's or right. maybe he's so panicked about getting to the hospital because his son just broke his leg in a soccer game. Exactly. Like, oh, perfect you know, back. Let's think of some more incidents in life where people just shit us to tears and why they might be behaving the way that they do. 
I mean, can you think of a, an interaction you've had in the past week where someone was a bit unnecessarily aggressive or rude or disrespectful? Well, actually, I heard something on radio that, that I don't know if it was, yeah, actually I'm going to give the radio we mm. were talking before the show was that um, I was listening last night on radio and there was a girl talking about how she'd just been on television and it was her family and friends were all celebrating that she'd had this great opportunity. And then she got the text message from her mum that said, oh, saw you on the telly, you looked nice, dear. And she went, what about what I said? What about what I stood for? Was I funny? Was I interesting? Was I educational? Was I thought-provoking? What? <laughs> you look nice, dear. You look nice. And I thought, oh, you know, I love my mum dearly. Sorry, mum, but I'm about to say this. You would do something like that. Mm. All of the things that I do, you go, oh, yes, I, I think you look good. Well, you look nice. Or mm. I like that top. Or have you got new trousers on today, dear? It's appearance-based. And so that's an example of that black and white thing of, of commenting from the generation that somebody is from. Mm. So we can react to that, and I certainly do, and I know that Beck does. I know a lot of uh, of women do because we've had to fight for equality and not be judged by our appearance. And so when we are, oh, that's a a trigger. But the compassion would be what's their concern? Their concern is that if I don't look good and I go on the telly, that I am a reflection of them because that's how it was then. Or that I'm holding, it, it could be like the mother looking at the daughter saying, oh, I don't want her to be held back in life and I want to make sure her hair looks nice because was, when I was young, the girls with the neatest appearances went further in life. It's the moulding. It's the generation of moulding instead is. of it's being. cultural stuff. It is so it's, generational it's and cultural. the reason that some ethnic communities really want their young daughters to get married to a nice man young and have the house and have the children because they genuinely think that that is going to make them happy and it's going to be good for them for a good life. And it's almost like whatever that generation didn't have they want the next generation to have to the point of suffocation and smothering exactly sometimes. that's right it's which amazing. means what are our kids they're all going to be they're probably oh what do they say that it misses a generation you know when they go what have you know abfab yeah <laughs> you know how she's got what is it Safi or yeah. whatever her name is yeah, yeah, the yeah. daughter yeah. like and then Safi's child would actually be like the grandmother yeah. you know that's like misses a generation so if we're all free thinking you know radicals are our kids children all going to be um conservatives well, yes when probably I was, when I was at university <laughs> in the 1990s which was, let's say, a good 15, 20 years from off the back of the hippie movement. And, well, flower children were a bit earlier than that. And then there was all kind of the hippies and a lot of people started to get into early environmental stuff and all that kind of stuff. And then when the 90s came around, I can remember educators high up making comments like, this is the most conservative generation we have seen. These kids actually want to go study get good qualifications, get a job, buy a white picket fence and have babies. They're not actually rocking the boat or being all avant-garde or pushing or protesting or picketing or doing any of that stuff, getting into a caravan and travelling around like they were doing maybe 10 or 15, 20 years before. These kids just wanted to be the boring version of normal because they were sick of all of that. In some, Funny, yes, so in some vibrational the, way. It is and the extreme in reverse, isn't that it? That was preparing for 20 years along, which is where we are now, where we're all going woo-woo and a little bit crazy. In fact, I saw a great meme on Facebook this week that said something like, the more enlightened you become, the crazier you will appear to people. I love it. I love it. <laughs> and you're my beautiful mum who is the most immaculately dressed woman you will ever meet, always has been every single day of her entire life. Um, and that's from the second her eyes are open to the second they're closed. Me, 
No, I would spend 95% of my life absolutely not caring at all. One iota about my physical appearance. Makeup, what's that? I don't don't care. (laughs) Oh, my poor mother has spent decades saying, are you going to put some lipstick on? That's no. No, I'm not. I still managed to pull a husband, Mum, without the lipstick. Have you noticed? I've had two babies by now without lipstick. Isn't it amazing? I did have lipstick then. I did. I did. I had the lippy on, got the hubby, and then let myself go, didn't I, love? (laughs) That's such an Aussie thing is that, you know, yeah, once they get married, they let themselves go. (laughs) We've gone right off topic of compassion. So I want to talk about um, Mother Teresa because I think... (laughs) From letting yourself go to Mother Teresa, how did you do that transition? I'm I'm bringing it back on topic. So when I think of the vibration of compassion, the first human being that my brain reaches for is Mother Teresa um, because her entire life's work and the way that she dealt with those lepers in Calcutta um, was purely from a level of just deep, deep, deep acceptance and that kind of message I think that she was just exuding which, without even needing to say the words, which was, I see the soul in your eyes and I see the soul in your eyes reflecting the soul in me. It's like that namaste concept. We are both exactly the same and made of the same. So you might appear leprosied or gangrened or poverty stricken or, uh, you know, half caste or whatever was it going on in Indian society there at the time. But I sit with you in an energy of complete acceptance. And that to me, that is what compassion is. Well, I think, I actually think. They are two different things, and I love that you've brought it up because I think you compassion leads to acceptance. Right, right. And I think that's possibly where in certain situations a lot of people, myself included, would struggle. It's like the compassion's there, the compassion's there, the compassion's there. But it's like, yeah, but I'm not actually going to really accept that. Mm. I'm giving you the compassion until you change and become the way I think you should be. Well, who am I to say that's the way you should be? Compassion with rules or it is compassion with rules. Compassion. It is. And that's what I'm saying is that even though I put myself up as saying somebody that is incredibly compassionate, I believe I have rules around that. Mm. And I'm going to workshop over the coming months how I can break those rules down to get to absolute acceptance because I think that's divine. Interesting. It is interesting. If you Google Mother Teresa as well, she has so many amazing quotes that she said during her lifetime and they all come in and out of sort of what we're talking about today. And the top quote, which goes right back to what Jane and I were talking about judgment before, is that she says, "If you," it's very simple, she just says, if you judge people, you have no time to love them. So she understood that differentiation between the minute you judge, you put up a wall. The minute you assume you know somebody or you've made a just just an assumption about them, you've compartmentalized them, you've labeled them, you've put them in a certain box in your head, it creates a division. It creates a duality, which gets you further away from spirituality because spirituality is wholeness and oneness. God, this is massive, Beck. That's massive. Yeah. That's like... Boom. That's like the biggest of spirituality, yeah. the biggest thing. So if you it's want to tough. be more spiritual, you know, you don't have to meditate. You don't have to do yoga. You don't have to chant om and drink green smoothies. You could just practice, and let's talk about tolerance in a minute, where you could, you could just practice the vibration of compassion for every asshole you meet in the next 24 hours <laughs> because it leads to acceptance, wholeness, and unity. Nice. So what's tolerance? Nice. Right. Well, that's where, you know, I've always said you can't stay in tolerance for long. You either accept or reject. So you can be in tolerance as you are, I think, like dealing with your own stuff. 
You know, as you're being triggered, you can either be triggered and be a dick that turns around and is not compassionate at all, uh, disrespectful, no connection, no love, no nothing. That's not who our, we all want to be as love life as this is not who we want to be. But if we're having that trigger, then you go into tolerance as you work through your compassion and you work through what your shadow side of what it is you've been triggered on, hoping that you can get to acceptance. But I think there are times in life that us mere humans that are not Mother Teresa actually get to rejection because then it also comes into how, you know, how do we teach people to treat us because healthy boundaries and not being abused and not being told that, um, you know, you are just your appearance or whatever, you know, educating others on how you wish to be treated. Mm. And this is where the shades of grey come in where it's very difficult with compassion. How do you stay in a compassionate vibration when it is not being given to you? It's very difficult. And I don't know, I'd love to have a chat with Mother Teresa and see how does she do that? You know, I am sure that she was treated dreadfully by some of these people. I, have a, I want to know how she how she handled that. I have, a, I have a great quote, which I heard the Dalai Lama say on a documentary. The Dalai Lama was talking about a man he once spoke to who I believe was a Tibetan monk or maybe even reaching, I wouldn't say guru status, but he was a very established Tibetan, you know, he was high up, let's say. And when the Chinese government came in and, you know, took over Tibet and did all this horrible stuff and they put a lot of them into gulags or camps, you know, like concentration camps. And this, after many years of suffering or after after horrific conditions, this man managed to get out and now works with the Dalai Lama and his, oh. friend, and his friends with the Dalai Lama. The Dalai Lama asked him about his time in the camp and the Tibetan monk said, there were only two times in all of those years um, that I came into, I came close to real danger. And the Dalai Lama said, and what, what were those incidents? And he said, they were the two times that I almost lost my compassion for the guards. Wow. You'll let that sink wow. in. Wow. <laughs> oh, so the my. Most, so the most dangerous times for him were when he nearly lost his spirituality, but he managed to hold it through that whole experience which is pretty it is pretty incredible it is incredible um and jane we do need to talk about compassion for the self in in the second half yes absolutely because in my clients i know probably in jane's clients and the people that that come to us who often have coming from places of pain or trauma or emotional blocks all sorts of those things that happen to all of us either in our childhoods our adult lives our past lives we all bring information in with us and like I said earlier with the judgment stuff, there is no human on earth who just gets through on a free ride, does everything fine and always plays it safe. And that means that many of us have committed acts which we are not proud of and they range from the very small to what could be regarded as the very large. Now, no one is placing any judgment on this other than you because you remember when you die and go back up to the great white room in the sky, no spirit guide is going to be like, sorry, you failed. Now, people people want them to say that. People want to know that Hitler got punished. People want to know that, you know, Pol Pot or Saddam Hussein or whoever the latest dictator is, is not going to heaven. They want to know that that flame, that soul has been extinguished for eternity because they did so much wrong. And it's, you know, that inscription that's written on the wall at Auschwitz by one of the prisoners who wrote something like, if there is a God, he will have to beg on his knees for my forgiveness. You know, it's that kind of idea. But 
Oh, getting so which, by the way, point. I've been there, which is amazing place. I can imagine for very many different reasons. Imagine being an empath and going there. Yeah. So, um, Jane, you have to help bring me back to where I was. I love it. I almost picked up your phone and videoed you then so everybody could see you have a rat. <laughs> Don't you dare. <laughs> Another time. Um, okay. So I'm getting into, um, okay, so self punishment. Self punishment yes. is what I'm saying. I just want to say quickly and then Jane's going to add. So what happens is because we all fuck up, and yes, I use that word, we all fuck up as humans. And when you fuck up, the only person that holds you accountable is you. And the extent to which you choose to punish, torture, self-flagellate, self-loathe, and hold yourself back in life for however many long years, months, past lives, future lives after that is up to you. And you're only keeping yourself in your own hell. And what was that quote from earlier today, Jane? That what is it? The more the, the faster or the quicker you or the more you try and run away from hell, the faster, faster you, you get, get there. there. Yeah. That's right. So it always as you know, every one of our hundred and what is it, ninety, however many episodes it is we've done, 189 episodes, is that it all comes back to self-love. And so when you are struggling with compassion externally, you are also struggling with compassion internally. Whatever you struggle external, you struggle internal. It's the only way it is. So as you start to look at within, how can you start to be more compassionate to yourself? And it's the million-dollar question, and I don't have all the answers because walking this planet, I am no Mother Teresa, and so I've got lots more to learn, and there are layers. However, our happiness depends on the escalation of our self-worth. So you don't ever get to self-worth. It's not, I've got, I've got self-worth. I've got it. Yep. That's a tick. Done. You are always expanding in self-worth. We are expanding as humans. So the tools that you use to first self-love of looking in the mirror, of saying, I love you. I accept you. I adore you. Of saying you are beautiful. Of saying it's okay. Of saying that you are clever, kind, special, unique. All of those things, the mirror work, the affirmations, the healing of your memories, the acceptance, the, the forgiveness of self, all of those basic tools just get used again Yes. on another topic. The tools don't change. The topic changes and the depth that you are going to changes. So in self-development, so, we, so often I feel like we kind of go, oh, yeah, tick, done, don't have anger management, no, no, I've dealt with that one, uh, no, don't, I'm not an abuser anymore, no, never actually been the addict, so don't really get that one, don't have to worry about that one. You know, we've got this long list of everything and we kind of go tick, dealt with, dealt with, dealt with, but we've never, ever dealt with everything because there's layers. That's a really good we've point. We've dealt with it on the layer that we are currently at, on the mm. vibration that we are currently at. So when our external world, which is the mirror that is held up to us for within. When the external world shows that we're struggling compassion for an area, is literally just saying, great, we're going to rip off another onion layer on the inside. Let's get some more self-love happening. I'm so glad that you said all of that, Jane, because I almost feel like we've gone for almost 190 episodes and never actually made that clear. That stuff about how just because you went, went and did inner child work once, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean you're done or yeah, that you're done. Apply to other areas. <laughs> That's it. Exactly. It's like people that say, you know, anger management. Oh yeah, I did have an issue, but I read the book. Yeah. yeah, yeah, good yeah. On you. <laughs> Reiki. Oh yeah, I did that in 1998. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yet Reiki still turns around. What happens when you, when you bump your knee? What do you do? You put your hand on it. Mm, there you go. There's I your Reiki. Know. You know, it. we still do it. Nothing, all of these beautiful tools. So whatever works for you and has worked for you in the past, will continue to work for you on a new vibration, on a new 
entry point mm. and the entry points change. That's all that's different. So this entry point is around compassion. Now that said, two tools which I think do come up very strongly to use if you're having trouble with self-compassion. So there's a part of yourself that you don't like or you can't forgive. Now that part of yourself obviously happened at some point in your life, which is where you can start to use the inner child work stuff. So you need to go back to that time, that place, the person you were then, meet them at that level, that age that you used to be, the conditions you used to live in, and why why that happened at that time. Have a lot of compassion for that version of you, like that Rebecca, I would say, or that, that version of Jane. And of course, what we are talking about here, when we're talking about going back to parts of ourselves that we don't really like or don't really want to acknowledge or deal with is the shadow side. This is classic shadow work. So straight away, if you are having trouble with some area of yourself, which has to do with, I don't like that part of me. I hate that part of me. I can't forgive that part of me. You do need to do some compassion work, but two tools that will get you there are shadow work and inner child work. We've obviously got episodes on that. Yes, we do, which, yeah, go back and listen to those. Mm. Um, but another quick referral is, and I'm actually going to re-listen, uh, re-read the dark side of the light shaded, uh, dark, sorry, beg your pardon, dark side of the light chases by Debbie Ford. So Debbie Ford, um, is an amazing, um, shadow side, uh, was an amazing shadow side therapist, written many books, etc. Mm. Um, however, that's because I am choosing to want to go another level in self-worth and self-love. Mm. And so that that's the path I'm going down. Um, no, I've just forgotten what I was going to say. Well, I think we're nearly there. I've got a beautiful quote from the, the Dalai Lama, which I'd like to finish with. Yeah, um, beautiful. It's appropriate. Um, and all he says is, love and compassion are necessities, not luxuries. Without them, humanity cannot survive. I mean, there it is. Mm. It is, it's mm. actually, it's as essential as water, as sunlight, as air to human survival. Yeah, it compassion. is. Why? Because if we don't have compassion, we kill each other off. Imagine, if, well, that's right. Emotionally, exactly. spiritually, energetically, financially, sexually, we, we just murder each other. We annihilate each other energetically and physically and emotionally all day long. And you know, one of the things I'm most excited about with the expansion of more compassion in the world is our Love Life tribe on Facebook, that closed group that we've got going. That is full of compassion. And then when you feel in a safe place to be vulnerable, to be able to receive compassion, you are connected. As you connect, you can then move within and connect deeper with yourself. As you can do that, you can then tread out in the world, demonstrate greater compassion. And as you do that, you don't know when you are being the signpost to another that is quietly observing you going, I want to be more like her. So we use Mother Teresa, we use uh, the Dalai Lama as our, ex <clears throat> excuse me, our examples in this particular episode of the pin-up girl and boy of compassion. But believe me, you are the pin-up girl or boy to somebody that is watching you and learning from you. Be the change that you wish to see. Beautiful. The double-edged sword of compassion teaches and heals. Now, we have episode 200 coming up in 10 more episodes. Woohoo! Been excited about this one. So, if you've been living under a rock, you you are not aware that Jane and I are going to record that episode live on the Gold Coast. So, the tickets are up if you just find the Arts Centre Gold Coast online. 
and hop across there and buy your tickets. We would love to have you there with us because while some of the show obviously is going to go up as a standard 30-minute show, there's going to be a lot of secret extras that Jane and I are going to be doing to fill up the two and a half hours we're there where you will get to see and hear stuff which we will never tell you on this show. We will share private personal information about ourselves at a level which can only happen in a closed room we will do interaction with some of you maybe on stage or bringing some real stuff up and doing a bit of therapy in the room and it's going to be super powerful so if you want to experience that please jump onto the art center gold coast and book your tickets now we would love to have you there and by the way it's on saturday the 24th of september sorry jane yes <laughs> if anyone wants to know when or where two to four 24th of september 2016 so until this time next week have a beautiful time learning to not only feel more compassionate and accepting of yourself but also of course of others in the world around you and using these tools to better um, evolve your spirituality to a higher and lighter and freer level life is perfect i'm not trying it's just happening